a lot of people view cash flow as something that happens to them. That's like out of their control. The It's just like this like river, the cash flow river that whatever happens, whatever happens. There is, you have a lot more control over it by improving all your various processes. So like cash flow doesn't just happen, right? It's a result of all of our financial processes. Attempting to simplify the complexities of entrepreneurship and what makes for a good life. This podcast is riddled with questions, ideas, philosophical food for thought, tangible takeaways, and honest stories that highlight one man's journey. My name's Evan Shank. Welcome to the podcast, Which Way Now? Way now, way now. What's going on, Which Way Now Nation? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I've got another special guest with us today. This man is an award-winning accountant and business advisor. He runs the weekly Resting Business Face email newsletter, which is really a newsletter all about small business finance and strategy. When asked, he'll tell you he's currently most known for yapping on LinkedIn while also claiming to be the cutest accountant on LinkedIn. Let's go ahead and welcome to the podcast, Michael Eckstein. Welcome, man. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you for having me. That's a pretty accurate representation of me, right? <laughs> I think that's my claim to fame right now, yapping on LinkedIn. You're And you're doing a lot of it. But here's the thing. What I see is yeah. it's good yapping. It's good stuff. Oh, thank you. <laughs> right? I, try and, I try to keep it good, right? Ugh. Recently... I guess let's go on a little tangent right when we begin, right? Yeah. I've kind of been running all my posts through like a quote-unquote filter of would I be happy if this post flopped? And I guess that's what helps me keep the quality where it is, right? Where as long as I'm happy with it one way or the other, well, at least I think it's good. Good yapping. <laughs> well, it is good. And there's, you have quite a bit of a following now at this point. I don't know. Do you pay attention to those numbers? Uh, do you know where you're at as far as that? I know how many followers I have and how many like typical likes I have. But like, I don't know what like the benchmark engagement percentage right. is. Yeah, well, because some people are just kind of throwing things up there in social media just in general and not paying too much attention and not caring. But then other people, I mean, and obviously we're going to get into it, mm -hmm. but you're a numbers guy. So I was just curious if you're like tracking that and knowing all the metrics like the back of your hand on on all of that. I have it tracked. I use a uh, like an analytics app that tracks everything. And I could look into it, but like, I don't know. I am a numbers guy, but at the same time, I don't get super bogged down in the data, right? Even when it comes to numbers for businesses, the numbers are nice, but I think they're there to like inform your conversation. And it's more important to have like the real life um, qualitative conversations. I've kind of view LinkedIn the same way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of where my head's at too. And, and, we hear a lot of that type of advice, I think. I mean, you and I, are, we're both relatively, you more than me, but relatively active on LinkedIn and other platforms. And you hear all of this like, oh, don't worry about this. Don't pay attention to that. Like, let it roll, roll off your shoulder. Yeah. And then, you know, the person that's hitting post, you know, two hours later, they're like, all right, how many people saw it? How many comments? <laughs> it's the human nature yeah. in us, right? <laughs> yeah. So I've then been what there, brought you right? to... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what brought you to LinkedIn? Like why LinkedIn? There's so many opportunities mm -hmm. to produce content and where we can publish this. Mm -hmm. And what? why is LinkedIn special to you? So 
there's honestly no really good reason like I did customer research and realized my audience was on LinkedIn or some super smart something like that. What happened was I had started writing my newsletter. And this is something a lot of people don't realize. My newsletter predates me on LinkedIn. I had started writing the newsletter. And for anyone that started writing a newsletter, you'll realize that like you need to have something feeding people into it, right? People aren't just going to casually find it of their own accord when you're some small newsletter. Like if you're like morning brew, all right, people are going to find you. But when you're just starting out, that doesn't happen. So like there was like a really rough six months where I was writing every week and like the newsletter was not going anywhere, was not growing. And I was just like, I need a plan. <laughs> so uh, that's where LinkedIn came into it. I was like, maybe if I start posting smart things on LinkedIn, I can be like, I write more smart things over here in the newsletter. Right. So that that's how it all came came to be. Gotcha. Right? So so it's really for the promo of the newsletter. And that's kind of the process. You know, use LinkedIn as yeah. the kind of the um, the net that you're casting over the side of your boat, so yeah. to speak. And then you pull them on yeah. deck where there's just more good stuff. You catch the fish and pull them up, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's how it started. Now I kind of view them as two separate types of content. And it's a bonus to me if someone follows me both on both the LinkedIn and through the newsletter. Mm -hmm. But in the very beginning, it was purely like, here's my like top of funnel. Please read my newsletter. Right. 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 Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. And I mean, truth be told, you know, in real time, I'm trying to figure out the best places to spend my time as far as where I'm pushing content in this. And I've talked about mm -hmm. it in other episodes of this podcast, but, you know, this is kind of a pillar piece of content for me. And then I can mm -hmm. slice and dice what we have here and, um, mm -hmm. you know, be able to put it out into the into the internet and other spots for other people to find and hopefully yep. bring them over as some sort of active follower. And it's kind of similar, mm -hmm. I think, with podcasts right now. And we're recording this spring of 2022, end of May mm -hmm. here. Um, and it's, it's kind of similar, I think, with newsletters and podcasts. And correct me where I'm wrong or throw your two cents in, but it is kind of, it's hard to just build up momentum as far as following and engagement without some sort of mm -hmm. outside help. You know, you can't just yes. upload an episode and it start to take off. It seems like mm. there's there's some um there's some room for improvement and we're we're seeing that. Mm. We're living through that right now. But uh and newsletters, mm -hmm. that's something I want to talk to you more in this episode because that's something I've been kind of mm -hmm. thinking about myself. I think the big difference between Building a podcast up and building a newsletter up is that podcasts inherently have more discoverability, right? Because if I want to go look for a podcast, I like grab the podcast app and I'm like, I want to listen to a small business podcast. And, you know, there's a chance yours will come up if you've got a good name. The podcast SEO is right. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really exist for newsletters in the same way. There are platforms, but they are not even remotely similar to how you can look up a podcast. So yeah. like. You need them for both. <laughs> that's that's very true. I mean, that's a really good point. I think newsletters probably are, do not have the upper hand out of the two when it comes to just innate discoverability. I think you're right. Yeah. But, you know, it seems like every every three to six months, there's a new way of looking at things. And a lot of people mm -hmm. are trying to promote themselves and technology is increasing, or at least the capacity of what we can do with it. And so, I mean, who knows what's what where we'll be yeah. in six months from now hopefully not another pandemic right oh uh, right yeah so 
<laughs> so let's let's pivot into just talking some numbers a little bit and some of your backstory with getting started in finance. What uh-huh. drew you towards the career that you now have? What's what's your path there? Mm-hmm. So I don't have like a super fun backstory. I feel like whenever I listen to podcasts, everyone has like this really good backstory about how they like found themselves in the Himalayas and they're like, I have to do math. That's my calling, math. And you're just like, wow. Um, no, my dad's an accountant, so I became an accountant. That's 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 the thing. That's the whole story. <laughs> right. Well, there you go. And right, such a good story. It's it's really my Batman origin story, right? Um, except he's yeah. alive. Uh, <laughs> There's going to be more bad jokes. Leave them in. Oh, no. Um, And and this is how I am, too. So we'll just go back and forth. um, So, yeah. No, I originally had wanted to go to college or something else, then pivoted to accounting. And then I came out of college and did, you know, your typical tax preparation type stuff. Mm -hmm. And as years went on, I slowly pivoted more towards the consulting side of it, which actually is partially inspired by a podcast I had listened to. An accountant said on some podcasts, and he goes, if we're going to say we provide value to our clients, then why do we lead with compliance services first and then fill in the gaps with consulting? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Isn't that consulting where we provide the value? And at the time, I was like, wow. <laughs> like, my mind was blown, right? Because that's not really a conversation in accounting. Like, yeah, there's this whole move towards advisory services, quote unquote. But like, accountants still very much view ourselves as like, math people we take your math we repackage it and now you have a profit and loss or a tax return right right we we were never taught bedside manner (laughs) well and that's the thing i mean you know for me as a entrepreneur slash solopreneur i mean we could throw whatever term we want to at it um expensive consultant yeah when it comes to numbers when it comes to finances and taxes and everything like I get swallowed up in it and I think I kind of know a little bit but Mm -hmm. I mean you know (laughs) there's a lot of room for some good financial professionals to really make a difference in entrepreneurs lives and help keep Mm -hmm. them out of trouble set them on the right path and uh, they can, mm-hmm. you know, achieve their dreams, and, and, and we need to be able to leverage other people's help. And you know, so this is this is a perfect opportunity right now, Michael, because I can just ask you all my personal questions. We'll make Go content out of it, and then you know, I got you for free of charge. <laughs> I'm gonna go for it. it. You know, if you have questions, chances are there's someone out there listening that has the same question, mm-hmm. and either doesn't have the opportunity to ask, or feels like it's like a quote unquote dumb question. Right. I feel like. A lot of my consults, I'm just like fielding these quote unquote dumb questions. It's like, these aren't dumb questions. You know, you're not taught about self-employment tax like right. anywhere in life. You're not. A, yeah. uh, I don't casually expect you to know, <laughs> right, about S-Corps, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm still trying to figure out what all that is. But like, okay, so then a question for you would be, what's like the biggest yeah. misconception from your perspective that people have about accountants? Where do people just not necessarily line up with the reality of the value mm-hmm. that um, people like you and more specifically you can provide mm-hmm. to them. So the biggest, I guess, misconception is that, or two biggest is A, that every accountant does tax and B, that all accountants are kind of created the same, right? So the first thing is there's lots of other types of accounting other than tax. Tax is one of the subgroups. There's also, you know, 
actual just plain old accounting, like keeping your QuickBooks as opposed to doing your tax return. Then there's like assurance type work, there's valuation. So there's other types of accountants. And sometimes you really do need those. Like if you're trying to buy a business, I am going to tell you to go to a valuation accountant, right? And I've said that to my own clients. I'll be like, I can look at it and tell you if it looks, if the PL looks like a hot mess, right? But you really need someone who like, this is their job, right? Gotcha. So that's the first kind of thing. There are different types of accountants. And then even when you get into like tax, there are accounts that specialize in different areas, right? So there are certain very complex sections of tax. Like if you're an expat or something and you live in another country, you probably want an accountant that specializes in international tax, right? Yeah. That's a subspecialty. And then the second part of that is that everyone kind of assumes accountants are all created the same, that we're all equally good at everything, right? Because the way you kind of view it is the IRS made the taxes and then we just take them and apply them, right? But as right. you get into business, right, there's much more gray area in some of these things. And accounts, A, view things differently. B, because things are rapidly changing recently. Some accounts aren't super up to date. And I don't mean this sound like 80% of accounts don't know what they're saying, right? right. It's a minority that don't, right? Um, and then some accountants are very, very good at tax. And like that's their lane, that's their job description. But business owners kind of expect accountants to be their financial point person. Right. So they'll come with like a question about cash flow and they're like, oh, my cash flow screwed up. What do I do? And they're like, I only do tax. So I don't know. Right. And that's right. sometimes a situation you fall into or like they'll give you the traditional like, quote unquote, academic advice they learned from a textbook back when they were getting their degree. And they're like, oh, you get a credit line. Right. Because that's the, the quote unquote right answer. Mm. But that's not always the right answer. It depends on the situation. Right. Right. And so this is where kind of what you were talking about. And I was going to ask you kind of follow up, like what makes you kind of stand out or how do you see yourself as unique mm -hmm. in this market of other accountants that people could be working with? And mm -hmm. you kind of approach it with a bit of a more um, consulting mm -hmm. angle to it. You're bringing that consultive yeah, angle. And mm -hmm. it really is, as far as I understand, you are educating your clients kind of alongside. So not only are mm -hmm. they able to use you for the services that you can provide and being the uh, human calculator in some in some sense with things and mm -hmm. then also keeping people compliant but actually educating mm -hmm. them in the process. Is that something that is mm -hmm. hard to find? Is that Would you say that that's one way that you stand out among the others? And what else would you add to that that makes you unique? I would say... I don't know if it's hard to find. Like, I'm sure there's other accountants out there that do that sort of thing, but it's not table stakes, if you know what I mean. Not every accountant is going to explain what the phrases they're using mean, right? They're not going to explain what depreciation is, even like a very basic, I guess now to explain it, because I said no one explains it. Uh, <laughs> depreciation is an accounting concept where very large expenses of assets that have like multi-year lifespans is deducted over multiple years. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is fairly simple. I mean, it gets much more complicated once you're doing a tax return. But like accountants will just use the phrase depreciation and never explain it. So accountants that explain and educate their clients, you if that's what you want, you have to be looking for that. Right. Gotcha. Um, 
And same goes for if you want an accountant to actually consult with you other than just being like, here's your tax return or here's your profit and loss. You know, mm-hmm. not every accountant can answer the kind of, you know, I've got a cash flow problem, I've got a profitability problem, or just like be a sounding board for business issues. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. I was just going to ask it, it's got me thinking because a lot of the listeners, they're right there at, you know, they haven't even left the home ba- the home plate to run mm-hmm. the bases mm-hmm. yet, you know, so they're mm-hmm. right there at the beginning, just mm-hmm. starting to swing at the ball, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it would behoove, e- no matter where you're at on that baseball diamond, I'll just keep using that metaphor. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that it would behoove the person that's running those bases to have an accountant um, at all times? Do you think you know, through the first year or so, and I'm sure this is going to be, I'm giving you a very generalized question, so it's hard to give a specific mm-hmm. answer, but should everybody have an accountant? What, what would be your answer to that? I think all businesses should have a tax accountant that at the very least prepares the taxes, right? And for someone that is just switching from being a W-2 employee to being a consultant or even just starting a side hustle, if you were doing your taxes yourself, like through a TurboTax or something, you don't realize how much more complicated it just casually becomes once you open a business, right? When you just have a W-2, it's as simple as entering numbers into TurboTax, right? But when you have a business, there's other moving pieces, and you do want to have that second set of eyes that looks at your profit and loss and goes, hey, wait a second, you don't have rent. I know you rent a WeWork. And I've done that with clients where like, I reviewed their P&L, and I was like, I see you don't have any rent, but every time we talk, you're clearly in a WeWork. Like I've been in a WeWork before. They all look the same. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I was like, yeah, all right. So let's <laughs> figure out how much that was and deduct that because that'd be pretty cool, right? Right. You know, I've I've thought oh. for a while, like, do I need to have somebody? And I do have somebody that helps me um, yeah. on that when it's tax season. You know, mm-hmm. um, and the yeah. way that I have things structured, it's you know, it helps me not only for my business but on the personal side for my wife and I filing joint each year. Um, I can kind of just send him the stuff and it's good. But then I, it's yep. got me thinking as I'm growing in my career and the different things I've got going on and the money that's starting to move around. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know I don't have my big bling fancy watch on to prove the money's <laughs> moving. <laughs> um, but I have ha- asked myself the question, when is it appropriate for me to have more mm-hmm. of a, tw- not 24 seven, but a year round person that I can lean gotcha. into in some capacity. And I'm sure mm-hmm. once again, if you know, if I have that question, mm-hmm. many others probably are thinking the same thing. So that was really, I was just curious your take on that. Okay, so I guess let's go through the, the types of accountants you wanna hire based on the size of your business. So sure. at a minimum, you want a tax person that prepares your taxes. As you're starting to grow a little bit and you're going kind of from side hustle territory to I'm going to do this territory, right? Because a lot of side hustles kind of start as accidental entrepreneurship, right? And Mm -hmm. maybe it's a stopgap or whatever, or you're testing it out. But once you decide, I'm going to do this, then you want to find an accountant that not only knows taxes, but will answer your tax questions and will do some like basic tax planning with you. And I, I don't mean like, looking for crazy loopholes and opening a company in Panama and funneling money offshore, right? I mean, literally someone that'll sit there and talk about, you know, does an S-corp make sense to you, right? Which also, to the people listening, you should always talk to an accountant before creating an S-corp, all right? Please. Good advice. Put it into the world. We are recording this. We will keep this. Yes, because 
when you listen to podcasts and blogs and YouTube videos, S-Corps get really boiled down into this kind of, like they're quote unquote, always a tax savings. They're not always a savings. They can be, but there can also be situations where they either cost you more money or they're a tax loss, right? So don't just cash do it, right? At least if you're going to do it, save money, you know, do it for the right reasons, right? right. But you want to have the kind of accountant that you can talk to about that and be like, hey, am I, should I consider an S-Corp soon? At what point do you think I should consider it, right? And have someone that you can either chat to all year and ping with like a little bit of a, hey, can I deduct this kind of question? Mm -hmm. Or that will talk to you outside of tax season, maybe in a year-end annual tax planning call where it's literally like, have we been paying enough estimated withholdings? Should we save for retirement, right? Should we do any year-end tax moves, that sort of thing? And as you keep growing, so we've already been at just starting out. Now we're sure we're going to be doing this. As you're growing and getting busier and maybe you have contractors, maybe you have employees, it might make sense to outsource your accounting, right? And have someone else not just do the tax return, but do the, um, like your QuickBooks bookkeeping, right? Because a lot of people, at least new business owners, especially those that are bootstrapping their business, they see QuickBooks Online costs $30 or whatever it's going to cost by the time you listen to this recording. Because I just got an email from them that prices are going up. Uh-oh. Um, like yesterday. And I was like, this is so many words to tell me to screw myself. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, oh, it's and like price hikes on 10 paragraphs right? long. It's like 10 paragraphs long. Just just tell me to screw myself. Let's move on. <laughs> um. Let's just call it thirty dollars, though. Yeah. So you look at thirty dollars versus the cost of hiring, you know, even a mid-tier bookkeeper. You're still talking a few hundred bucks a month. When you compare that against the software, okay, yeah, fine, the software is cheaper. But when you also add in the cost of the mistakes you're making, because like if you forget, like for example, that rent, because it was on the personal card, not the business card, mm-hmm. right? Those kind of missed, you know, mistakes and the time you kind of waste doing it. Right. Once you start getting very busy, your time is better spent on the business, either by doing more business development, getting new clients, or actually doing billable client work. Right. Yeah. Even if you have very simple accounting, you're still kind of wasting hours that you could do anything else with, like just sit on the couch, anything else. Right. (laughs) Um, So you do want to consider at some point hiring outsourced accounting. Right, some other financial professionals you might need. When you hire employees, at least talk to your tax accountant because there is some compliance that goes around along with that. Mm-hmm. Right, you can outsource it to something like a Paychex or an ADP, or you can kind of do it in house with QuickBooks Payroll or Augusto. And it is something that once you have the software set up and someone's kind of reviewing it every now and then, it can be done in house. Right, but you do want to have the chat with that you know tax accountant and be like, can you explain? payroll taxes and stuff from the employer side and not so much from the employee side because we're all familiar with the employee side of like this paycheck should be a thousand dollars and it's only 700 sure right yeah we we all get that but you don't realize while getting screwed on those paychecks how much happens on the employer side right gotcha and then when you want to open retirement accounts right this is another one of these like s-corp things right if you have any employees at all and you want to open a retirement account, talk to a financial advisor and third-party administrator. 
an advisor can put you in touch with one, right? Reason for that is there's a lot of compliance and testing requirements, and you want to make that someone else's problem, right? You do not want that to be your problem. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like a, a black hole very quickly. And yes. once again, I mean, for the listeners out there, myself included, we have our own thing that we are trying to build expertise mm -hmm. in and we are monetizing and we are providing value to the world in a different way. And mm -hmm. like you said, I think once we get to the point where we have the capacity to be able to leverage, leverage other people mm -hmm. that are smarter than us in these areas, um, it's something worth considering because, and I think a gold point that you had in there too, is it might cost you up front a little bit more to have somebody in your pocket for this kind of thing. But mm -hmm. the savings that you can get out of that long term mm -hmm. and the trouble mm -hmm. that it keeps you out of and everything else mm -hmm. and then also the education that may be able to come through being like you said paying somebody about mm -hmm. a random question about when would it be a good time to go s corp or, or mm -hmm. you know i mean and the list goes on of many questions and so i think there's one other question before i get into another series of questions <laughs> mm -hmm. um you keep saying quickbooks mm -hmm. now is that just kind of like a catch-all for just whatever software you're using or um, are you like an affiliate of QuickBooks? No, I'm just kidding. But like so, there's FreshBooks, there's QuickBooks. I know there's others, I think. Well, I don't yeah. know. I guess I just think that. There's Zero. there's Wave, there's Sage. There's gotcha. a how whole you, bunch of them. How do you get through that? How do you decide which one to go for or does it really not matter too much? So... I guess to answer the very first question, I do use QuickBooks as a catch-all, right? I prefer a software called Xero. That's X-E-R-O. It's like Xerox, but without the last X. Whatever. Okay. Um, I prefer it. I think it is more user-friendly. But at the end of the day, I mean, the reason I use QuickBooks as a catch-all is because in the U.S., if you're an American listener, QuickBooks is the market-dominant um, accounting software. Other countries are different. Like Zero, like dominates Australia and New Zealand. That's they started in New Zealand. Right? Gotcha. Um, but in the U.S., everyone's like very familiar with QuickBooks. And when I say Zero, they're like, "What? I've never heard of that." Right? right. But when it comes to choosing an accounting software, it comes down to two things: if you're doing it yourself or if you're outsourcing it. If you're doing it yourself, find the accounting software that you are most comfortable with and will actually use. Right. It doesn't matter what the top tier accounting software is if you never log into it, hmm. right? Now, obviously, don't use bottom tier software. There's a reason it's bottom tier, right? And pay the few bucks for actual accounting software, right? As opposed to having everything in like a Google Sheet or Excel, right? Pay right. the few bucks. There's some nice features in there. Also, all the kind of off-the-shelf accounting software now comes with pretty robust invoicing features, right? So instead of cash emailing like some templated invoice and then asking for money over Venmo, you know, be professional, set up the invoicing part of your software and send invoices like that. But when you're doing it yourself, it comes down to which software will you actively use and can you actively wrap your head around, right? That's not to say that someone isn't smart enough to pick them all up. It's just that sometimes, this, you know, we like a different layout, you know? Yeah. Like I use one particular project management. I use ClickUp just because I like the way it looks. I'm sure I could wrap my head around Trello or Asana. I just, I like ClickUp. Right. It, it, it just clicks in my head, you know? And the <laughs> same with accounting software. But if you're gotcha. going to outsource it, let just let them pick. They're the ones doing it, right? If you're hiring some accountants, you know, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, accounting is accounting. 
there's a set of rules and all the accounting, all the major accounting softwares are set up so you can make accounting happen in them, right? So you can do accounting with whatever. That makes sense. And I think that really just kind of demystifies the which software should I pick? Because I mean, I don't want to admit how long, because I'm like a researcher, I guess, when Mm -hmm. I'm like trying to decide what to do, like I'll go really deep into YouTube videos and different blogs. And I know I'm not the only one. A lot of us are like that. But I found myself at one point, I'm like, how many pros and cons lists do I need to look at that's comparing QuickBooks and FreshBooks? Like just... And so really what you're saying is just pick the one that you'll use, the one that makes the most yes. sense because as long as it's a reputable name, which mm-hmm. I mean a lot of them are, you, there's a handful mm-hmm. that you rattled off, you're going to be good. It'll steer you in the mm-hmm. right direction, you know, at least to get started until you want to pass it off. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that advice. Uh, that mm-hmm. I think that calms the nerves of a lot of people that might be in that spot of like, I want to start a business, but I got to get this together, I got to that get that together. Yeah. I got to figure out manufacturing and then I got to get my books in order. And, you know, it's like, don't worry about it. Just find what works for you. So as far as getting your books in order, I think the biggest thing bigger than picking a software is making sure you have a separate bank account and credit card. If mm. you have a separate bank account and credit card that captures only the business expenses and the personal are, you know, separated away, you can always reconstruct things. Right? Yeah. Maybe not in amazing detail, Right, because you know you're looking back on it, but you can pull things together. And I've definitely pulled together accounting records from like a year or two of data. You know, the biggest hurdle is as long as it's separated. You can always switch right. softwares. You can always restart on a new software. It will be fine. It might suck a little bit for a little while now, but it'll be fine. Right? <laughs> yeah. So don't co-mingle the funds. Don't use don't your personal account. Funds. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And well, I mean, for the most part, it's pretty easy. Well, I guess it depends on who you are and what your backstory is, but it's not impossible to get yourself a really basic entry level business credit card, like, and have that yeah. set up. Yeah. And then no, once I'm, again, opening a I'm, bank account is easy. I'll be harsh with it. It is so stupid simple to open a bank account and credit card nowadays. It's not like the 80s where you had to go to a bank. <laughs> you can literally go online, like Relay Financial, Mercury, a handful of other banks I can't remember off the top of my head, set it up online, give them the documents, you have a bank account and a debit card through them, right? Yep. There's nowadays really no excuse to be commingling anymore, right? Like wallets have slots for multiple credit cards. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow, who would have thought? That's the thing that always gets me. I'm like, how are you putting everything on one card? Just get another one and put it in your wallet. It's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> like literally yeah, I love it if you do not have a separate account right now i'm gonna tell you what to do after this after you're done driving or walking and listening to this google relay financial or mercury bank or just like if you use chase go into your local bank right and right. say i would like a business account and they'll be like cool we would love you to deposit money in a business account with us because that's what banks like banks like to have your money right oh yeah they, they'll give you another account and and just <laughs> split them and it's going to suck in a little bit in the beginning while you find all your subscriptions. You have your million SaaS, your Zoom subscription, your whatever you're using and right. transfer it over. But your accountant will be so much happier, right? You don't have the same risk of you know expenses going missing, right? And what I mean by that is if everything is commingled and there's a line and it just says Amazon, when you're looking at that six months from now, you will not remember 
what that purchase was for. And like, yeah, you can dig through your Amazon invoices and like find a date and like match it up. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that was office supplies and not diapers. But it's like, Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be easier if you didn't have to do that? Yeah. Right. Do you find that that's a common thing? There's a lot of people doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the just starting out and solopreneur space. Once you kind of have employees and people you're a little bit more responsible for, right? Mm -hmm. At that point, you tend to have to have the accountants who have hopefully berated you into splitting them, splitting the expenses. Right. Right. Because you're now paying for the better accountant that like, got unhappy with you and was just like yeah i want to talk about cash flow it's a it's a it's relatively simple i think but it once again it's another confusing thing or it becomes confusing somewhere Mm -hmm. and you and i have had previous conversations about cash flow and so i Mm kind of want to just get your take and for the listeners here ask you why is it important to consider cash flow and where are people going wrong what does it mean? Just start to let the plane come off the runway a little bit on the topic of cash flow. Mm-hmm. So the thing with cash flow is that a lot of people view cash flow as something that happens to them. That's like out of their control. The it's just like this like river, the cash flow river that whatever happens, whatever happens. There is you have a lot more control over it by improving all your various processes. So like cash flow doesn't just happen, right? It's a result of all of our financial processes. And like what I mean by that is, you know, one of the big parts of cash flow is when you get paid, right? But if you have better invoicing processes, better follow-up processes, if you're collecting as much money as possible up front, that sort of thing, you can kind of make that more predictable and work more in your favor as opposed to just sending invoices whenever, following up whenever you remember to follow up, that sort of thing. So the more you kind of tighten up your handful of cash flow processes and I always harp on the main three, which are invoicing, profitability, and savings. The more you can kind of work on that, the more you can control your cash flow. And that's important because you never want to be in the situation with bad cash flow where you're always struggling to pay the bills. And you're always like, oh, well, I have enough cash on hand to make payroll. Oh, I've got my credit card bill coming up. And oh, I'm going to have to carry some of the balance at like 20% interest. Right? Yeah. So you want to try and control it and improve your invoicing, improve your profitability, and try and set some money aside in an emergency fund. So what does that mean? Let's talk emergency mm-hmm. fund and maybe mm-hmm. some of these different, um, maybe it's just bank accounts, I guess we could call them, or however, mm-hmm. within within this, and I want to repeat it too for all of us listening, there's three mm-hmm. levers that you can mm-hmm. manipulate and move back and forth, left and right. Mm-hmm that manipulates your cash flow and that is mm-hmm. invoicing which mm-hmm. would be the money coming in or mm-hmm. the potential the opportunity for money to come in mm-hmm. you've got your profitability which is you know the extra at the end of the day once everything mm-hmm. we actually get through the last chapter of whatever this book is so to speak what's left over that's your profitability and that's mm-hmm. i mean if you're a for profit company that is the goal and almost yeah. everybody listening, that's the goal. And that's one of the three levers in here. And then the third one you said is savings. Mm-hmm. Now, emergency fund savings, are there other types of savings? Or can we dig into any of those three levers and maybe pull out a little bit more to it? 
Yeah, so let's start with savings, then we can hit the other ones, right? So you do want to have a few types of savings, right? You want to have, you know, in your main operating accounts enough to operate from day to day. So that could be, I always say it's like two weeks of expenses or a payroll's worth of funds just sitting in there so you have money to pay for things. Then in a separate account, right? And most banks will now give you separate accounts, by the way. And just double check the fees because sometimes they'll charge you based on how much is in the account. Sometimes they won't charge you at all. Sometimes they'll aggregate all the funds and use that to decide if they have to charge you. So look into that, right? Um, in a separate account, save for your quarterly estimated taxes, right? The, one of the problems with quarterly estimated taxes is that everyone kind of forgets because it's once a quarter. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're like, oh my God, I'd have throw $10,000 at the IRS or 20 or 30, however much. And when you don't plan for it and you don't set money aside, it becomes a surprise expense that like kind of dings your cash flow and becomes an issue for you. So actively try and set some money aside for that. And then third, have an emergency fund, right? And that is two to three months worth of all the necessary cash outflows, right? Which is slightly different than expenses, right? So mm-hmm. that means all the loan payments you have to make because you can't stop making loan payments. The bank's not gonna be happy about that. That means the amount of money you pay yourself either through a legit paycheck, that's if you're like an S-corp, or through mm-hmm. draws, right? You need to keep paying yourself that, right? It's very easy to say, well, if we have an emergency, I'll stop paying myself. But you also have personal bills. You have to keep paying rent or your mortgage or your car payment. And an emergency fund there is, exists to help like tide the gap. So you can think straight and you're like, I still have runway left. I can fix whatever's happening. It's not there to have just enough money, but you're still worrying about whether or not you'll still be in your house in a few weeks. Right? right. You want to not have to stress. Right. So those yeah. are the handful of savings targets. And the reason you need to have savings is even if everything else is running perfectly, you're sending invoices at exactly the right time, you're following up, you're collecting up front, you're super profitable. Sometimes the timing of money coming in and money going out doesn't really line up, right? It's not like Newton's law of cash flow for every cash in, there's a cash out. It's, you know, (laughs) it can be whatever. They're separate things, yeah. Right, so sometimes no matter how perfectly you plan everything, there'll be a lot of cash outflows, right? While you're waiting for money to come in. And you need the savings for that to kind of tide those little gaps. And that's nothing wrong with you or your business. That's the reality of cash flow, right? So you want to move on to the other levers? I can just keep going. Oh, right. you're great. Yeah, this is this is your episode, my man. I'm liking Perfect. everything you're saying. I'm just taking it so in and nodding along. We're going to go on to profitability. And... The reason profitability is important is comes down to like the very definition of profit and cash flow. Healthy cash flow is always having money on hand to pay your expenses. Well, if you're unprofitable, you're eventually going to run out of money, right? Unless you're bringing in loans or investors, but that's not really a small business thing. You know, you're not courting VCs and investors very frequently. So sure. profitability is important. And the more profitable you are, Right. And I don't necessarily mean you have to be like a bloodthirsty capitalist profitable, but like the more profitable you are, the more money you'll have sitting around in emergency savings and your personal savings to kind of play with. Right. Mm-hmm. The cash inflows will now be bigger, which makes it easier to pay the cash outflows. Right. That makes sense. On that, real mm-hmm. quick, 
Yeah. Is there a, a target percentage, like, or a target number that businesses should be shooting for as far as profits, maybe, whether it's monthly, quarterly, annual, however they want to look at it? Is there a framework for that or some guidelines? Yes, to a certain extent, but it's a little bit tough to explain because it depends on okay. A, what stage of business you're at, right? And also what kind of business structure you are, right? And this is going to be a boring accounting definition. If you're a sole proprietor, right, the money you take out of your business comes out as a draw or a distribution. That's not technically an expense that shows up on your profit and loss, right? So when you're a sole proprietor, you can have a huge profit because that profit is where your pay is coming from. Whereas if you're an S-corp and you're paying yourself a salary, that salary is now on the profit and loss, right? So Understood. When, if you have a, the exact same business and you go from LLC, single member LLC to S-corp, all of a sudden your profit is going to drop, right? Your take-home didn't change. Everything's still fine. It's just like an accounting definition changed. Sure. Right? So it is a little bit tough to figure out to say this is the profit level you should be at. When you're starting out, though, I would say the amount of profit you're looking for is enough to cover your day-to-day -day personal expenses and the taxes. Right? Got it. So... It sounds boring, but like do a legit budget over the last three months of your life and see how much money am I spending? How much mm -hmm. money do I need to earn? And then figure out how much tax do I need to effectively take that amount home, right? And right. that is your base level of profitability that you have to be at or else, I guess, or else you can't really pay for things. Right. right? And, I've, and a lot of people from what I understand, and you could speak to this more than I could, but a lot of people hesitate and wildly avoid that process, that that budgeting, your own personal budgeting meeting with yourself if you're a sole prop or, or whatever it is. And for the most part, it's just a few different things that you, you just have to get them all on the same paper and talking to each other a little bit. And you can almost, and it depends on how you're wired. Um, like I always grew up, my dad would always tell me, just like make a game out of it, like math class, just make a game out of it. And so I'm going to sound like him for a second, but you can <laughs> almost just make a game out of this because the what it illuminates in your business and it gives you a real pulse check on where you're at and mm -hmm. helps you make better, more informed decisions moving forward, whether it's mm -hmm. in the short term and then also in the long term as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not this big elusive thing. Um, and just like anything in life, it's like when we were all learning how to walk, you know, you mm -hmm. fell down a lot, but you had to keep trying. And now look, now you can go anywhere you want to in the world because you know how to use your feet. And yeah. I think the same is true probably for just making a simple spreadsheet or some sort of chart that helps you document this stuff. That And that's the thing with finances in general as well as budgets it doesn't have to be scary. You're not going to come into it with the absolute skill of an accountant and like, that's fine, right? When you're doing the personal budget to figure out how much money you need to survive, the point isn't for you to have some amazing next level CFO type thought and like the skies open up and you're like, I get it, you know? It's literally <laughs> right. just for you to know, this is how much money I need to live, right? This is how much yeah. money I need to earn to be doing all right. Then we're going to toss on some more for taxes. And that's it, right? And when you're like reviewing financials, say you're reviewing your profit and loss, it doesn't have to be this kind of scary thing. Because like when you first look at a profit and loss and you don't have experience with it, 
it's the same kind of feeling where you like read a poem and everyone else is like, oh, those meanings were so crazy. And you're like, I didn't meet, I didn't read any meanings in that. I thought it was just about flowers. And like, that's how it can feel when you read financials. Cause like accountants are telling you to see this or that or the ratios. It's really just in the beginning, looking at it, you know, once a month and getting used to it. And as time goes on, you'll start seeing trends, right? Mm -hmm. That's because humans in general are very good at seeing patterns and things and trends and things. As you look at your profit and loss or whatever report, it could be something on your project management, something on your CRM. As time goes on, you'll start going, I remember this happened last month, you know, and slowly you'll get better, right? So with right. all of these financial things I'm talking about or we're talking about and budgets, <laughs> whatever, it doesn't have to be scary. Everyone kind of started somewhere and every business owner kind of started at the same spot. Every amazing, sophisticated business owner now started in that scary zone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's really encouraging to hear from a professional those words um, because I think we need that. We need to feel a little bit more empowered. There's a lot of us yeah. out there, listeners that are, once again, yeah, you're avoiding some of these things because it seems like there's the monster in the closet. But once you open it up, it's like, no, it's just a little bit of organization and, and what mm -hmm. that does for you and the wind in your sails that mm -hmm. you can get from, even if you do it halfway right. Mm -hmm. Like I've found, I'm like, I want to sit down for, I blocked out 90 minutes to try to mm -hmm. pull all my numbers together and get a real good look at like what I've done over the past couple months so that I can yeah. better project the next couple months maybe. And I might only get halfway through that process and maybe do some of it wrong. But every for every step I take in that process of building that out, I'm also feeling a little less burden on me and I'm starting mm -hmm. to, this, the skies do kind of open up from like a mental and emotional mm -hmm. capacity because it weighs us down. It's this mm -hmm. tangible thing on the to-do list that we continue to push into next week. And yeah. uh, so the encouragement of, you know, get in there and, and get after it because um, any step is a good step, you know, yeah. start pursuing it. Even looking at it a little bit is a step in the right direction, and it will change the way you kind of look at your own business finances, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to become an accountant overnight, but looking at your P&L, being in the numbers like that, gives you a different look as a different frame of reference as opposed to checking your bank balance every day. Because that's the way every business owner starts. They just check their bank balance every day and they're like, do I have cash right now? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? But once you look at the P&L, or whatever reports once per month, once every two months, whatever, you start, I guess, kind of, it helps you zoom out a little bit and be like, oh, I spent this much on that. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, wow, I made this much revenue from over there. Yeah. Or I want to get this new thing that's going to help the business, but now I know mm -hmm. I can do that in three months if I stay on the same trajectory as opposed to mm -hmm. next year, which is going to help me elevate the business and you know get mm -hmm. me close to my goals, so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. you talked, you dug into savings a little bit. You, we were just digging mm -hmm. into profitability. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention on the invoicing lever of this cash yeah. flow thing? So, yes. So we'll talk invoicing a little bit. Um, first and foremost, I guess, try and collect as much money up front. Right. And you hear that advice all over on the internet. Everyone's like, get paid up front. And the thing is, there's no secret to getting paid up front. There's no like magic process or certificate you need. You literally just have to like 
look yourself in the mirror and hype yourself up and be like, that'll be $5,000 money in advance, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing, right? And try and collect as much up front as possible. That's not always mega realistic. Sometimes bigger projects will have milestones or maybe you just want to collect after the fact. That's cool too, right? And that's where we start getting into invoicing, right? Send legit invoices out of an invoicing software. That can be the one that comes with QuickBooks, Zero, FreshBooks. You don't need to buy a separate invoicing software. But don't use like a Excel template and like send that and then have to organize payments, right? A lot slips between the cracks there. Have one system that you send all your invoices out of. Make sure they're correct, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm the treasurer of a local nonprofit and I spend way too much time getting invoices corrected. <laughs> right, and just be like, there's a mistake on this invoice. And if if you send someone an invoice, like think about you when you receive an invoice, paying it is not really a top priority. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's true. Yeah. It's that's the reality. And maybe some people are like super good and like I pay right away. That's cool. But not everyone does. Mm-hmm. And the harder you make it to pay you, the lower on their to do list it goes. So if you send them an invoice and there's a button that says pay now and they can enter your credit card, their credit card information, they're going to do it. If you send them an Excel templated invoice and they have to get out their checkbook and mail it to you, that's going to add a week for how long because like they're going to put it off. Then they're going to have to find an envelope. And like I have envelopes, but I'm an accounting office, right? right. <laughs> Not everyone has envelopes anymore. You have to go, you know, drop it in the mail. Then has to arrive, then you have to deposit it. So it adds like a week or two to how long it takes to close out this invoice, which doesn't sound like a big deal when it's just one of them. But when you, you know, say all of your invoices are now being paid like that, that's where the cash flow problem comes in. All yeah. these little small delays that don't sound like anything, the having to get the invoice corrected, the them delaying payment or whatever, once you start adding them all up, they start becoming a situation. Right. right. Absolutely. And Collecting credit cards nowadays is not as hard as it used to be. If you're using QuickBooks, Google QuickBooks payments, QuickBooks online payments, and they will probably automatically accept you, right? You say apply, they'll accept you within a day or two, then you go turn it on in the settings in your QuickBooks. If you use something, I think FreshBooks also has something similar like that where it's yep. baked into the software. That's what I use. Now if you use Yeah, and I just use, I just mm-hmm. recently I was just going to mention I just recently cuz I was like I'm a pretty frugal-minded person, mm-hmm. and so especially in the early stages of my business and my career, mm-hmm. every penny mm-hmm. that comes through, I want to be as resourceful with it as possible. And so the first yep. step was, obviously, I started in QuickBooks, and kind of back to what we were talking about a little bit ago, I was just getting frustrated and confused with it. Yep. And, you know, That was just my personal experience with it. So I switched over to FreshBooks, and so far, so good. I've been enjoying it for almost a year now, something like that. Cool. But, you know, and obviously, I started doing all of my invoicing out of FreshBooks, and it mm-hmm. wasn't until sometime this year I finally turned on the, um, like the credit card payment option. Because for me, I was like, I want the ACH deposits because there's no fees. I don't like. Yeah, it's I'm not rolling in the dough to where I can, mm-hmm. you know, deal with these these percentage fees for the credit card processing. Mm-hmm. But I finally did that, and then before I realized it, more than half of my clients, and without me prompting them or anything, have their cards now saved in. And yep. when I send the invoice, which usually goes out like the 24th of the month. Um, you know, with a due date of the top of the following month, 
it's mm-hmm. it's already paid and it's over to a Stripe account, and then it's like two days later yeah. to get it over to my bank account, and I didn't do anything. Yeah, and every, a lot of new business owners were in that same situation. Like I know I was at one point, which is a weird thing for an accountant to say, <laughs> but you feel like you're bootstrapping, you're trying to save as much money, and you're like, oh, I'll accept ACH instead of credit card. Offering credit card really does cut down how long it takes people to pay. Because like you said, sometimes people save it and like everyone knows where their credit card is right now. It's in my pocket, in my wallet, or it's in someone's purse. If I need to do my ACH info, I'm like, uh, I guess yeah. I gotta log into my bank account, right? right? You know, it's much easier for people to pay by credit card. I guess nowadays you have both of those saved in your browser, but we're gonna ignore yeah. that. Well, and right? they like it too. I mean, I, I like to pay with credit card because then you know, I can keep it on the statement a lot easier. You know, mm-hmm. it's in with all of my other expenses and I can get points back on it. You know, so whether, you know, I'm the one pulling out my card or allowing the opportunity for my clients to be able to do the same, it's these little gestures um, mm-hmm. that just, it makes so much sense that it's worth worth the two and a half percent or whatever it is yeah. because you make that back in spades in other areas. And offering credit cards speeds up how fast people pay you which improves your cash flow. Yeah. Right. So that's what I mean when I say make it as easy to pay you as possible. Now, on the point of credit card versus ACH, ACH does still have its place, right? If you are doing much bigger, like recurring engagements, so let's say you're doing a monthly, I guess, marketing retainer, mm-hmm. right? You can get their ACH information and get like, um, and a bank debit approval from them, like when you're getting your contract signed, which I hope everyone's getting their contract signed and has one, include a bank debit authorization. And just in it say, we're going to debit you $3,000 a month on the first, and you can set it up so it's recurring. Every first, it just takes care of it. Mm-hmm. right? So now you kind of get, you don't have to sit on top of the invoices, you don't have to wait for them to pay. And not only is the payment going to come out on its own, which is super convenient for everyone, it's now being pulled out on ACH, which saves a bunch of money. So you, you kind of have the best of everything. So mm-hmm. that's great for recurring things or if there's very large milestones, you can include that as, okay, we're gonna do this payment in milestones, but we're going to auto debit it. We're not gonna send you an invoice. We're gonna debit the bank accounts, right? The thing to know with debiting bank accounts though is even though you have an authorization, you do wanna send them an invoice ahead of time just so they can make sure money's in the account. With a credit card, you can just charge against it. If they haven't hit their limit, them paying it off is their problem. If there's not money sitting in that bank account when you debit it and it bounces, collecting that money is going to be a huge hassle. Yeah, talk about a a little bit of a uh, thorn in the client relationship (laughs) that you might have because you just kind of screwed them over a little bit, not intending to, but, you know. Yeah. And we're all emotional beings, so we that would be frustrating. I would not like to see that happen if I was the one, if it was my bank that got hit, you mm-hmm. know, for that. Makes so sense. So you send the invoice ahead of time and it's just kind of like, hey, by the way, we're debiting on the first, just so you know. If you mm-hmm. have any problems, please let us know immediately. But, you know, you can still make ACH happen for larger transactions. For smaller, more transactional type things, like um, e-com, retail, that sort of thing. Or if you're doing very transactional, smaller services. Mm-hmm you're kind of stuck with credit card. Yeah. It's, it's a bigger ask to make to be like, hey, pay ACH for this $200, $300 transaction. Right. right. No one's going to be cool. Once you start dealing with like bigger money and 
you're doing B2B. In the B2B world, ACH and checks still are doing great. They still exist. And people are more comfortable with them. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So it just really depends. Just really depends yeah. on where you're at, the size well, I guess and the frequency. Let's just summarize the whole episode. It depends. Everything <laughs> yeah. I say, um, it's the most annoying habit of mine. And I just have to be like in like calls. I'm like, I don't mean this to be difficult. I'm just saying it depends. <laughs> well, it does. And I mean, to get a little philosophical, I mean, we don't live in a black and white world. It, things yeah. don't land on one side of the fence or the other. It's a very gray space. And I talk yeah. about this a lot, and it's true for us in our personal lives, with our opinions on things or how we see the world around us or different things that are happening in the news. And the same thing is true for, you know, and like when we started the episode, well, I guess all the way through, I've been asking some of the questions have been pretty generalized, pretty generic, mm-hmm. and it's hard for you to give a real answer to that, something mm-hmm. that's tangible until we look at a specific scenario or break it down. And mm-hmm. once again, the value of an accountant for all of the listeners is now you can ask all these questions if you hire the right person. And I hear Michael's mm-hmm. pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it can start as an answer of it depends, but here's your options. Yeah, That's, that's the thing that an accountant, a professional can provide you mm-hmm. that we as business owners, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs can't necessarily provide ourselves. We got other things mm-hmm. to do rather than uh, look through the legal and do all sorts of blog, <laughs> Google research. We're all professional Googlers yeah. these days, right? Because mm-hmm. that is kind of the alternative. If you want to like talk, like say credit card versus ACH, it's either ask someone that knows and has been through it and can kind of guide you through it, or you do a lot of reading, like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem with finance is a lot of it just isn't there on the internet. This is going to go on a little tangent. This is one of my biggest gripes <laughs> in small business finance. A small business owner, if they need help with taxes, they can find someone. If they need help with outsourced accounting, they can find someone. But there's all these other kind of cash flow topics about invoice my profitability. No one's really answering those questions, at least in depth or in detail. You can find kind of like surface level blogs, but mm-hmm. business owners are kind of stuck up until they're big enough to hire like a controller or a part-time CFO that can come in and answer the questions. So there's like weird little area where even if you wanted to Google it, you may not be able to because no one's writing about it because the accountants who can are not good writers. Mm. That's Interesting. That's, not really thought about right? it like that, but hey, that could be it. But you know what? Michael, you are a good writer. And you're very active yeah. on LinkedIn. We talked about this. Mm-hmm. And you've got this mm-hmm. newsletter. So let's let's talk about your business real quick. Turn the ship mm-hmm. towards you and how you can help mm-hmm. people and try to provide some tangible links and things like that. But I want to start mm-hmm. with the newsletter mm-hmm. specifically. Yes. I, I mentioned it in the intro um, of what it's about. But from your mouth, can you kind of pitch the newsletter to the audience, what they can expect, and then how they can get uh, subscribed up to that. I am a subscriber. I'm a recent subscriber. I think probably five, six weeks now, and I've been really enjoying it. I actually save all of. I, I have my own Michael Ooh. folder and save emails, <laughs> and I keep them because that's you, you're putting out some gold, and it's a lot yeah. of it is stuff yeah, that I perfect. haven't, I hadn't read before, or I didn't look at it that way. And you make everything very easy to digest, and normal mm-hmm. people like me that don't know a whole lot about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I can understand what you're saying. Yeah, and that's why I try and do with it. Like I was saying, that that education is missing. That that's kind of what I want to put out. 
I want to answer these kinds of, and if people listening have financial questions that they want answers to, send them to me. I always need material for this newsletter. <laughs> but I wanted it to be that kind of resource where the people reading it learn. So I guess to explain for the people at home, right, every newsletter is like two intro paragraphs and then some bulleted paragraphs explaining whatever topic was on my mind that day. So I have to actually, after this, go write this weekend's newsletter. I think it's going to be about profit and loss and balance sheets, yeah. right? And just my thoughts on it, nuances you should be aware of, right? Um, and I try and keep them all under a thousand words, which I know nowadays is like a lot, right? Unless it's like an authoritative blog, a thousand words is like, wow, that, that was a lot of words. <laughs> um, but I think it's worth it. And each email ends with a kind of action item, right? And I always include those because I personally hate when I read content or consume content and I'm just like, all right, cool. Now what? Like, what was the takeaway from that? And you're just like, wow, I just wrote a thousand words about nothing because there's I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> so I always try and right. end each email with an action. I'm be like, this is what you're supposed to do. Or this is the takeaway. Or this is your next step. This is how you implement it in your business and try and make a slightly better business. Right. And I don't know. I'm very proud of the newsletter, more proud of the newsletter than of my LinkedIn, which is weird, right? And um, it's my baby, I guess. Yeah. Maybe well, it's, it's not my baby. It doesn't keep me up at night or like demand <laughs> food. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how long have you been doing the news, this newsletter? A little over two years now. A little over two years, and it's called Resting yeah. Business Face. Resting Business Face. That's like Ugh, the third or fourth it. name it's had. Right? Such a good name. I felt so smart when I thought of it. I was like, that's it. And I very quickly like checked if the domain was taken. And I was like, it hasn't been taken. I was there like, that's so clever. No one's taken it yet. There the TikTok handle is taken, but the domain wasn't. <laughs> oh, well. Hey, well, wow. then you can just win some TikTok. Losing. Yeah, Resting Business Face 1 or underscore, right? Right. You just look like the spam account until your content's better than theirs. And then you become the OG. <laughs> they don't post. I also checked Michael Eckstein. That guy doesn't post. I'm like, people, <sighs> let me have the good names if we're not going to use them. I know, right? Not, <laughs> uh. So then do you, and I know the answer to this because I'm, I, I keep up with what you're doing online, uh -huh. but do you repurpose information from the newsletter into LinkedIn or vice versa. I'm just curious mm -hmm. a little bit of your, if you have any sort of repurpose philosophy or if they want to get a certain type of content from you, should they be on LinkedIn with you and or newsletter? So I do repurpose the newsletter a little bit, but not mm -hmm. in its full, I guess, greatness. Greatness is the wrong word. But <laughs> the, the posts that are inspired by the newsletter are not as in depth because the issue with LinkedIn, because it's a social media that people are just casually scrolling. No one's on LinkedIn for like hardcore reading. No one's just like 8 a.m. Right. on the train to work and like, you know what I want to read right now? Like an authoritative post that's like 3,000 words long. That's <laughs> So I tried them. They did not do particularly well. So the posts will be inspired a little bit by the newsletter, but they're not like as smart as the newsletter. Yeah. Right. Uh, at one point, I was repurposing into like videos where I rehashed it, but like that is a slog. And I think we may have spoken about this. Yeah. Like for the people listening, side note: for the people listening, if you like this, toss him a rating, like five stars. Oh, All right, thank you have you. no idea. <laughs> 
I've thought about doing a podcast. You have like no idea until you look into it how much work casually goes into this. And if it if you're anything like me, every time I get a review on my newsletter, I'm just like, oh, someone likes me. They really like it. Yeah. Even though like here you're telling me here on this podcast for everyone to listen to you like it, but it's like something about getting that review. You're like, ah. Oh. So it's true. Leave him a review, a rating if you like it. He didn't oh, even tell thanks, me to say dude. that. <laughs> yeah, man. Now you just became the best guest I've ever had on the on the pod. You might even become the co-host. We'll see. Perfect. But we'll like, see. it's the truth. You put so much effort into the podcast. I put so much yeah. effort into the newsletter that that kind of positive feedback is really nice. And that's what keeps you going. Yeah. Right? And, and you do a great job. You mm-hmm. do a great job of making it very easy for people to leave a review and give you that feedback. Just the way that it's structured, it is mm-hmm. because that's something I would like to implement. And it might happen sooner than later. I've actually been kind of working on that in the side. I'm a little scared to announce it and put it out into the world because then I have to really commit. Um, mm. <laughs> but I want to get into the newsletter space in some sort of capacity and I've, I'm, I'm working on that. And, mm-hmm. and and I'm not just trying to talk you up because I have you right here and just, you know, uh-huh. that whole thing. I genuinely, the, the way that you frame out your newsletters and just the way that you set it up, like I opted in, I subscribed through your website, which... Is is it just restingbusinessface.com specifically? Yep. Okay. Yep. And that's for sur- your sur- mm-hmm. And that's for your services as far as on mm-hmm. the accounting side of things, consulting as well yep. as newsletter sign up, right? Yeah, when you get there the first page is all about the newsletter. If you want to hire me, there's a little hire me button in the corner. Yeah. yeah. For for anybody that's a marketing nerd, which there's probably a handful of you because I am also that. So that's the type of people I'm trying to attract mm-hmm. into the listenership here. But you you have like you're you're crossing, you're checking off a lot of the things the the things that you should do when it comes mm-hmm. to navigating people down a funnel so to speak and into your newsletter and you do when people get to that newsletter they're going to get good stuff. I've been getting mm. good stuff. I've been saving those emails. And so I encourage everybody else to jump on to restingbusinessface.com and check yep. out more about Michael and how he can help you specifically with where you're at today and where you're going into the future. Because you're also very, and I want to start wrapping this up, but I think one more thing that I want to talk about, and we don't need to go on a big tangent about it, but your philosophy is a lot of let's look at what goals you have. Let's look at mm. let's look at how we're handling numbers from where do you want to end up in one year, five year, ten mm-hmm. years? What's the goals that you have? And let's make sure that we execute a strategy and a plan around mm-hmm. that, as opposed mm-hmm. to just doing the thing that's asked of you by your client, right? Yes. So I know you didn't want to go on a tangent, but we're about to. Um, <laughs> okay. When people get into business, there was always an initial reason. Maybe there was an accidental entrepreneur situation. Maybe their boss sucked. But there was like an initial reason, and that gets lost somewhere along the way. And then when we start looking for business advice, we look to big business advice or startup advice. But the problem with that is big businesses and startups have different goals than you. right? So a big business wants to be profitable for shareholders, be super stable, and a startup wants to scale, take on investor money, and exit. And while some of their advice may line up with what you want, it won't always. And you just have to be like very aware and cognizant of that. That, you know, for example, everyone thinks they have to scale their business. Well, if that's 
what you want, yes, go for it. But if that's not what you want, scaling your business won't inherently help you reach what you want. So if you want to be like a digital nomad, right? Scaling by, you know, leasing a brick and mortar office space, having employees kind of screws up the whole digital nomad thing, right? If you want to put your kids on the bus and take Fridays off or whatever, you know, sometimes you do have to build the business a little bit more strategically around the goals you want, as opposed to just being like, oh, well, startup scale, so I'll scale, right? Think about what you really want. Because once you can put food on the table, you're lucky enough that you do get to decide which direction your business goes in. That's one of the perks of being a business owner. You make decisions. Yeah, I'm really glad that you said that because that's something that a lot of people struggle with. And Mm -hmm. I sound like a broken record. It's another thing that, you know, I am currently working through is like, what Mm -hmm. am I trying to build? Like, obviously, Mm -hmm. I have a little bit more of a a vision for what this Which Way Now podcast can become Mm -hmm. and what what I think would be good for the audience and how this could also then support my business by doing this. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I watch Shark Tank and I think like, man, that's so cool. Like I kind of want to go into the, that side of like being able to use my capital to help other businesses and being involved Mm -hmm. in it. And, and that's one way of being an entrepreneur and being very successful. Then, like you said, there's the digital nomads. There's the people that look up to Tim Ferriss as, you know, Mm -hmm the four hour work week author, this guy that has just figured out how to create autonomy. And there's plenty of other success stories. He's just one name that a lot of people know of. And there's just a lot of different ways. I mean, some people, they just straight up, they're more a small business. They're more of a small business owner as opposed to an entrepreneurial mind. And there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. For instance, I always use the example of maybe there's some guy or girl that you know, used to bake bread with grandma and she passed away and we have grandma's recipe and everybody in our local town deserves to still be able to have grandma's stuff. So they open Mm -hmm. up a brick and mortar location so that they can make bread. They didn't do Mm -hmm. that because they want to build business. They just, Mm -hmm. business was the route for them to be able to make good bread for people Mm -hmm. around them. So, and I think that's just really, really good to hear your perspective on that and to continue to validate that there's a lot of different types of entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, mm-hmm. and goals that you may have. And mm-hmm. none of it is wrong. And that's the beauty of it, is that exactly. we, get to, we get to blaze our own trail and we get to carve out our dream life the way that makes the most sense for us. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you bringing that up and saying that. So what I want to do now, wh- what I've <laughs> been doing... What I've been doing with the guests is I'm going to throw you mm-hmm. some fun questions. We're going to get mm-hmm. we're going to get off of the track talking numbers or anything else. Mm-hmm. Let's get into some weird fun questions and learn a little bit more about Michael. You ready? I'm going to kind of yeah. rapid fire these at you. Ooh. So just quick short answers Please. if you're able to. And mm-hmm. um, we'll start with one of my favorite ones. Goldfish or Cheez-Its? Cheez-Its. Why? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Favorite emoji? Oh, the emoji with uh, the steam coming out of their nose for whatever reason. I just... Use that in a sentence. Where would you apply that emoji? I just use it whenever I'm like sarcastically angry at someone. That seems to be... I don't know. <laughs> it's the one, like, huh? Like I'm sarcastically upset with people or something. <laughs> well, there are a bunch of new emojis now. 
that I I mean I'm on an iPhone. I don't know what type of device. I'm on an but, Android, and uh, we oh. don't get any of the fun things. And I know people are going to turn the podcast off right now. But oh. like, I don't talk to Android users. But like, it's all right. <laughs> well, we already got their view because we're an hour and thirteen in, based on the recording. Yeah, so time jokes stamp, on them. So, yeah, I've exactly. been using an Android the whole time. <laughs> we got your view. <laughs> so, are you more of a sing along to the radio type person or drum on the steering wheel? Depends on the song, I think, mm. mm-hmm. and how well I know like the words. If I like, if I know the words, okay. Right? And what would you know the words to? What would be that song or genre or something? What's popping to your brain? I don't know. So I listen to the normal radio. Sure, right. <laughs> I, I listen to the normal radio a lot because I drive an uh-huh. older car without Bluetooth. Right, so they just play the same five songs on repeat. So one of those five. Okay. I've probably heard it so many times. I'm like, yeah, just stuck just, in my head. Just, yeah, whatever it is. Okay, whatever what's trending the most... on TikTok? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, follow the trends, man. It'll lead you to greener pastures. Uh, what's the most recently watched video on your YouTube archive? It. All right, this is the honest answer. It might have been Trapalor Ross, right? Who was just a sarcastic British person talking about rap, right? <laughs> um, that or. Linus Tech Tips, it, you know, so yep. a lot of the time I'll have it running in the background as a kind of almost uh-huh. like quote unquote TV or something. It's like the talk show, but I could decide what the topic is. Right. There you so, go. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Good answer. Last question for you and we'll wrap it up. What makes Michael smile? I don't know. I mean, if you, if you sent me like cute baby animals, I guess I would smile at that. I wouldn't say no. Um, We've already paid your invoice is a good one. That's always a smile. <laughs> um, a good yeah, rating like on the, the newsletter? Yes. Oh, there we go. That does make me smile, actually. Every time I get the email with the new I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, I'm going to let you wrap it up, Michael. Where can the people find you? I know we've plugged it a little bit. Where are you yes. active? Where can they find you and connect with you and create this wonderful blossoming relationship between you and them? So either... Follow me on LinkedIn. If you're going to send me a connection request on LinkedIn, just be like, I heard you on XYZ Podcast, so I don't think I'm about to get spammed by a bot, right? It's the same reason I don't pick up my <laughs> phone anymore. Um, you, you can find me on LinkedIn, Michael Eckstein. If you don't want to remember that because that's a tough last name to spell, if you Google LinkedIn's cutest accountant, my LinkedIn will come up. That's not <gasps> a joke. Really? Right? Right? Nice. Everyone thinks it's a joke when I say it, but if you type that into Google, Google is like, we, we know who you could possibly. There's only one of those. Right. Or um, join the newsletter at restingbusinessface.com. I've been thinking about TikTok. If anyone's got a good TikTok name for me, username, let me know. Yeah, we're going to. Yeah, we're going to come up with that because I would love to see you on TikTok. Yeah, I'm thinking about doing kind of Q&A. So it'd be like this, I guess, the podcast, but strangers Mm. can toss finance questions at me. Oh, very good. Very good. Yes. And I'm sure there's yeah. some questions that people have been able to drum up. Obviously, a lot of questions have been answered today mm. on the episode, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they know how to reach you now. We're encouraging yeah. a TikTok in the in the coming months here, hopefully. And yes. hopefully we'll see some new subs hit the uh, the inbox for you with the, the newsletter. It's all very good stuff. I can attest. And Michael, thank you for your time today and sharing your expertise for us new budding entrepreneurs as we work our way through this crazy life and crazy Mm -hmm. numbers. There's a lot to it, but find things that work for you. 
Don't mm-hmm. get in the weeds on it too much. Don't overstress. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to the three levers of cash flow. Go back and re-listen to this episode. Understand that everything filters through the goals that are unique and personal to you and the life that you want to build. Thank you again, Michael, and to everybody listening. We will see you on the next episode. Until then, peace. Well, that does it for this episode. You can always reach out to me directly on my Instagram at evanshank75 with any thoughts or questions you may have. I'd love to connect and hear your story. Make sure you follow and subscribe and also leave a review on whichever platform you're listening to this on. My only question to you is, which way now? 